Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Dan Fry, author of the new novel, The Future is Yours. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your novel, The Future is Yours yet, how would you describe the novel? Yeah, I usually tell people that The Future is Yours is a tech thriller, sort of in the vein of Michael Crichton, but written in a style that uh, is not what he's known for. It's set in modern day Silicon Valley. And it's basically about these two best friends named Ben and Advan, who are college dorm room buddies. And they're kind of in their early career in Silicon Valley, hustling and struggling to get by, feeling like they're meant for greater things in the world. And they join forces to create their own startup company with a new technology that they build, which is essentially a quantum computer that can connect to the internet one year in the future. And their plan is to try to bring this technology to the world. And so at that point, the book really kind of takes the narrative form of the kind of classic rags to riches startup story that we've seen in things like the social network with Facebook. And so we see them raising money and building a company and hiring employees and competing with rivals and competitors and getting in trouble with the government for what their technology might actually achieve in the world. And then it's all sort of with this high concept, slightly sci-fi, five minutes in the future hook of having a computer that lets them effectively see one year into the future. And so that's bringing up all of these questions about free will and is it possible for them to change the future that they've seen? And so it's kind of this classic like um, rise and fall of a company story that's told through the friendship between these two guys as it's strengthened first by their success and then starts fracturing when they encounter all of the obstacles of it. Well, do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write The Future is Yours? I do, absolutely. It, it was honestly born... In 2018, when I first saw Mark Zuckerberg testify in front of Congress about Facebook and witnessing what turned out to be the first of the Facebook hearings kind of inspired a couple things inside of me. One is it just made me realize how this was a case of too little, too late. The technology in question was just already out in the world. The genie was never going back in the bottle. And so it started just making me think about telling a similar story, but with a technology that was even more kind of fun, sci-fi, high concept as a way to explore the responsibilities of tech companies, the ways in which we try and fail to hold them accountable, the incredible impact that they're having on our society, and then get it kind of the human story behind that. Because I think that, you know, the people who create these technologies and release them into the world are not any sort of, you know, Marvel villain masterminds trying to destroy democracy and ignite genocide or things like that. They're generally well-meaning, smart individuals kind of stumbling on these 
powerful new capabilities that revolutionize the world and create all these unintended consequences. So I saw those forces and it, it became the impetus for telling a story that would let me explore all of that, that lets people relate it to their lives. But with this kind of high concept element that I think just makes it more fun as a narrative. Well, to your point about the Facebook hearings, and I'm curious in terms of the the research that you did and the thinking that you did um, as you were working on The Future is Yours. And I'm just curious, I mean, um, you know, there have been recent documentaries, numerous articles, um, the hearings that you mentioned about social media's impact on on modern American society, um, algorithms that were designed to trigger engagement and keep people clicking the political dis- disinformation that spreads lightning fast before these platforms can even stop it. Um, and m- several articles and, and a, uh, award-winning podcast about the YouTube rabbit hole that led to many people being radicalized by the alt-right, um, that was attributed to YouTube's algorithm showing progressively more, um, uh, um, radical videos based on people's viewership. I'm just curious, um, where do you see all of this heading? Wow. The question of where it's heading is really a a tough one to get into, ironically, for a book that's about seeing the future. Um, (laughs) But I think that basically the trajectory that we're on is essentially irreversible in terms of the fact that Technology is going to continue to evolve and it's going to continue to have an even bigger place and impact on our lives. And so the trends that we've seen so far are people have more and more access to information and more and more of the ways that we access that information and communicate with each other are controlled and mediated by a limited number of extremely large companies that that's been generally the trend that I think is, um, dangerous and problematic. And that's led to things like what you reference that's brought up in the, uh, the rabbit hole podcast, which I just cannot recommend highly enough to anyone who's interested in these topics. Yeah, I agree. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the problem there is there's just a single company, YouTube, that has a very simple market incentive to just get people to watch more videos. And it just turned out that a really effective way to do that was to show people political content and content that was a little bit edgier than sort of where they were looking for political content. And it turned out that it has this unintended consequence of radicalizing people. So sort of using that as a great example of the type of danger that exists through the proliferation of what were supposed to be innocuous information technologies, I think that we're going to have more and more potential for that kind of damage and danger in the future. My hope is that we're sort of in a sea change moment where there's a new level of awareness about the way that these technologies work and our relationship to them. You know, in the last few months, we've gotten that podcast and 
probably even bigger is the Social Dilemma documentary, which I think was a real driver for people to look at their relationship to social media in particular, to recognize the way in which they're being controlled and manipulated by it. So I'll say my hope for the direction that these things are headed is toward a greater level of accountability for the companies that produce and release these technologies and a greater level of awareness um, and uh, being able to make conscious choices for individuals who are using these technologies, recognizing the costs of participating in social media and recognizing the ways in which our own thoughts, values, behaviors, political decisions are being shaped by these platforms so that we can start to regain some of the agency that we've effectively yielded to these technological platforms. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what was your writing journey that led you to writing and getting The Future Is Yours published? Is this the first novel you've written? No. So this is actually uh, my second novel, and I've been writing for many years. I mean, I've, I've wanted to write since I was a child. And then I got into movies as a teenager and went to film school at USC. And so I've worked uh, largely as a screenwriter for several years and have found that exciting and creatively fulfilling. But part of working as a screenwriter is doing kind of work for hire on other people's projects. You do a lot of projects that don't actually get released. And so I had a few years of working a screenwriting career, doing some good work where none of it got made and, and went out into the world. And that sort of led me back to an interest in writing fiction as a way to just have a little bit more ownership and control over the process. The first book that I wrote was called The Retreat. Um, I did NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, if that's something that you're familiar yes. with. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I did that as sort of a jumping off point to just sort of see if it was possible for me to write a book. And uh, I didn't finish the entire book in the first month, but I got close enough that the end was in sight and I was able to finish the book uh, by the end of that year. Um, and I'd written a novel at that point. It was really exciting. I got an agent who took that out and ultimately the book sold to Audible. And so it became an Audible original and so it was available only in the audiobook format. Um, but it was my first time having a book out in the world. And so that was really exciting and definitely got me hooked and got me interested in writing another one. And so sure. The the Future is Yours was, uh, for me, kind of an even bigger swing in some ways, because um, the retreat is very much written in a traditional prose style. And I was interested in doing something a little bit more um, interesting and fun and experimental. So The Future is Yours is written in a style that I call a digital epistolary. So the text is entirely made up of emails, text messages, uh, transcripts of a congressional hearing, a portion of a doctoral thesis paper, all of these different types of documents kind of woven together. 
And so that was something that for the second novel I was writing was a challenge that I wanted to kind of undertake was, was to do something in all of these different forms of writing woven together to tell this tech thriller story in a way that I'd never seen before. So it's my first book that is out in the world in physical form, so to speak. I had the first experience of my life this past weekend going to a bookstore and actually uh, seeing it in person and signing a bunch of copies. So that was And how did that feel? It was wonderful. Um, It was funny because my wife and I, with our baby, you know, we walked up to the store and they had a bunch of copies on display out in the window, along with an announcement of a virtual event that I was doing. And so right away, it was thrilling. I felt a little bit like a celebrity. We took a picture and somebody else who was passing by was also taking a picture of this. It turned out because she knew the person I was doing the event with. But so (laughs) even more so, I felt like a celebrity that people are just walking by taking pictures of my book as I'm seeing it, (laughs) as though that's constantly happening around the world. Um, It was really great. And it, you know, it's a, a beautiful book. I think the design is simple and the cover looks great. And for me to just sort of hold that physical object is really a, fulfillment of a childhood dream. That's wonderful. So you mentioned this epistolary format. Uh, was the book always um, in your mind in that format, or did you originally try a straight narrative? It was always in that format, and it was actually initially even stranger. So what I first was planning to do was to write a quote-unquote book that was going to be in the form of a bunch of, uh, a, a basically a fake website of multiple social media accounts that I was going to control. It was going to be a sort of nonlinear narrative that existed on the internet for people to find and discover and navigate in their <laughs> own way. I was very excited about that. My wife, who works in social media, pointed out to me that it might be challenging to get people to find it or navigate it in any coherent way. And she knew there was a story and characters that I was excited about. And there might be one person that even got the experience that I wanted. And so I scaled back the ambition of that experiment to some extent and uh, decided to sort of translate that approach into a linear written book. And I think as a result, it will be able to actually reach a lot more people, which uh, is for the best. That's great. Well, I should note that your novel, The Future is Yours, that we're discussing is in development at HBO Max. What's the current status? So uh, the project, so again, I mentioned I I started working largely as a screenwriter, and so I'm continuing to work on the adaptation. It's something that we sold kind of late last year. So there's a director attached. His name's Anish Shaganti. He directed the film Searching and the film Run, which are both fantastic. There's a producer, uh, Matt Reeves, who's doing the latest Batman movie currently. Um We're at Warner Brothers Television and HBO Max. And currently, I'm in the process of writing the pilot right now, which is going really well, I think. And the 
book, as we mentioned, is is written in this sort of non-traditional format. It's important to me that the show also be in a non-traditional format. And so in conjunction with the director and producing team, we've kind of devised a cinematic approach that's something I've honestly uh, never seen on television before. So I'm really excited about it creatively. And I think that we should find out, you know, in the next few months if we're able to go into production. That's great. Well, good luck with that. I'm I'm curious, um, obviously this is not a straight ahead narrative as we've discussed um in in you know traditional prose. Uh I, I'm I'm curious what what has been the difference between writing a screenplay and writing your first novel, The Retreat, which as you said is an audible original and now the future is yours. What are what for you is the difference um sitting down to write a screenplay versus writing a novel? Well, I think that what's exciting about writing fiction is that without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It doesn't have to adhere to as much of a traditional structure as what a screenplay typically requires, both in terms of just the sort of time and the experience of watching a show or watching a movie. There it's very much a sense of the sort of three act structure that the story needs to break down into the types of characters that we have and how we meet them and how we develop that story. I've found that there's a lot more opportunity to kind of break from that form in writing fiction. And I still love screenwriting. I I love movies and television and and intend to continue to do that as a part of my life, but I've found that there are other kinds of stories that might especially initially be challenging to tell in that form. And they're things that deal with kind of bigger ideas. And I've found with the books that I've written that when I have a subject for a book, it's sort of like a big tent that can fit a lot of my interests. And a screenplay is much more streamlined it sort of needs to be a very tight journey whereas you know i sort of went into the future is yours with all of these interests about both technology the current tech industry and philosophy there are questions of free will and the possibility or impossibility of of human agency you know determinism versus free will as a tension that is explored extensively. And those more heady ideas, there's, I think, just more space to weave them into an exciting narrative in a novel than you would find if you're pitching a movie or a TV show. Sure. Well, well, given that screenplays, as you discuss, tend to be uh, uh, very structured and very tightly plotted, um, 
what was the writing process when you were working on your two two novels? Do you outline extensively, um, given your work in in screenplays, or is it more of an organic process for you versus a screenplay? Uh, honestly, it's it's a more organic process, and I'm not even sure that I would have been excited to do them if not for the chance to work in a more organic process. Yeah, when you're doing a, a screenplay, I've found it really needs to be very tightly outlined. You need to get feedback on the outline and then it can feel um, creatively limiting to sort of flesh out that outline that you've already built. With a novel, there's more opportunity to wander, explore, and discover. That said, in the case of both of the novels I've written, I've been helped immensely by sort of choosing subjects that have a built-in structure to them. The first book is called The Retreat, and the entire thing takes place over the course of seven days at a spiritual retreat. And these kind of Stephen King-esque supernatural elements develop out of that context. But right away, I'm going through the story knowing I've got seven days. I know roughly where I'm starting and where I need to end. And I know the kinds of things that happen in that world that I can sort of reinvent with a supernatural twist to them. And so I'm not like wandering off into the total wilderness, so to speak. Similarly with the future is yours. As I mentioned, there's kind of this built-in structure of the rise and fall of a tech company. And I looked at a number of examples. I looked at sort of the story of WeWork. I looked at the story of Theranos (laughs) and I was sort of borrowing these kind of um almost now and then it's not a rise and fall it's a just rise forever the story of facebook but they have the same types of scenes there's the moment where you're going to see the guys raising money where you're going to see them branding and coming up with a logo where somebody's giving a ted talk about how exciting it is so even before i've like plotted or know exactly what the specifics are for the book there's something to go to that helps me figure out what could be the sort of story material that I'm working with. And I found that that balance of freedom and structure was really perfect for being able to write a book and discover along the way while knowing I'm not sort of getting totally lost. Great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or screenplays or novels? Hmm. I have a few pieces of advice. The first of which is uh, people who want to write should read and they should read way more than they write. And they should read widely and diversely and not only the kinds of things that they want to be writing as well. Uh, I find that we can all get a little bit sort of short-sighted when we're thinking about what we're working on and how successful it's going to be and trying to sell. And we limit ourselves in ways that limit our writing. And reading should expand your palate more than anything. I would also say when you go into any writing project, there's two things that I've found that I really look for. And these are broad categories. But one is what's new about it. Like what's something that is going to be in your story that you genuinely haven't seen before? 
because that's sort of the thing that's going to make it commercially appealing and just make somebody want to tell their friend about it. Whether it's the way that it's written, whether it's the type of character representation that you're doing, what are you bringing that's novel to your novel? Number two is what's personal about it. And I would always say, regardless of the genre that you're working in, it's important to find, I think of, you know, what's personal as like, what are the conversations happening inside of my head that are kind of keeping me up at night or that, what are like the emails that I'm writing in my mind and never sending? What are the things that got under my skin, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in the world and, you know, politically speaking, what, what are those things that just like, I can't let go of and then try to find a story that you, that becomes an outlet for you to explore and even process those things, because you need to have this sort of bottomless well of material to draw on. And when it connects with you on that personal gut level, I think that usually means it's going to connect with other people as well. That's good advice. So you mentioned you're working on the screenplay for the pilot for HBO Max. Have you started planning or thinking about another novel yet? I have actually. Yeah. So, um, the future is yours. I did with the publisher Del Rey, and I'm going to do my next book with them as well. And I'm always looking for, you know, an exciting challenge in what I'm taking on. So I'm not doing another tech thriller that's, you know, exactly the same kind of book. Uh, I'm actually looking to do what I would call like a contemporary fantasy book, sort of in the vein of what Neil Gaiman has traditionally written or uh, N.K. Jemisin's recent The City We Became. Our world with a fantasy twist to it. And I'm doing it in a somewhat similar style to the way The Future is Yours is written. So it'll be this sort of um, multiple different kinds of documents and storytelling forms woven together. Maybe even a little more like what House of Leaves does. Uh, that's something that I haven't seen for the fantasy genre specifically. And I won't get into the specifics of the story, but um, it connects to other forms of fantasy storytelling that are out there in the world and popular. Uh, and I think can do something cool in making us rethink the way that we look at fantasy. That sounds great. We'll look forward to that. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? I read the overstory recently, and that's a book that I just, can't really recommend more strongly. It's a beautiful novel that weaves together multiple different stories, but is essentially about trees. And honestly, I think makes you think about your relationship to trees and to the natural world in general on a fundamentally different level. Um, I'm also currently reading Ted Chang's, uh, Exhalation, which is a collection of science fiction short stories, and it is beautiful and astonishing and just the wealth and depth of ideas that he brings up and deals with so succinctly in some of these stories. I think for anyone who's into the sci-fi space, 
that's one that you just have to pick up. Absolutely. And then I'm always looking for nonfiction as well, which I tend to listen to in audio form. Currently, I'm on the second of Stephen Fry's books about Greek mythology. And I recommend them. The, the first is called Mythos. The second is called Heroes. Um, he's retelling the classic Greek myth stories, but doing it in a sort of more novelistic, playful way with his sort of signature sense of humor. Um, it's perfect as an audiobook because he's such an amazing narrator and does a bunch of great voices. Uh, really recommend those ones as well. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novel? So my Twitter handle is at words by Dan Fry. Fry is F-R-E-Y. And I now have a website that is the same, wordsbydanfry.com. So people can find me there and I'd love to hear what people think and how they're responding to the book. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Dan Fry, author of the new novel, The Future is Yours. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Dan, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of The Future is Yours by Dan Fry, available from Random House Audio, wherever audiobooks are sold. Transcript of TED Talk, delivered April 24th, 2021. Ben Boyce, the future is yours. Zero minutes, zero seconds. When I was a kid, I used to love thinking about the future. About going to the moon, robots cleaning my room, living forever. But when I was 12 years old, my mom got cancer. And all of a sudden... I wasn't dreaming about the future anymore. I was dreading it. What would the coming year bring? Healing or remission? Or more pain? More metastasis? Every birthday, I wondered if it was the last one I had with my mom. I couldn't live in the present, much less plan for the future. Zero minutes, 30 seconds. Mom fought hard for five years, in and out of chemo and remission, before she passed away the year before I started college. Ever since she got sick, I have been scared to death of the future, of what the coming year might bring. And like many of us, I've immersed myself in work in an attempt to create some lasting legacy, some deep wealth, some impervious relationship, some safety and insurance against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Zero minutes, 55 seconds. We all live with the uncertainty of not knowing what's coming. We can never be fully present because we're so fixated and fearful about what's next. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because I've been working together with leading scientific minds to build a technology that lets us see into the future. One minute, 25 seconds. In a nutshell, it's a computer the size and shape of a typical desktop machine. Just like the one you already have, in every way except one. This machine can connect to itself one year in the future. Through the joint principles of quantum computing and quantum entanglement, it's possible to receive email from your future self and browse websites that don't exist yet. One minute, 50 seconds. Of course, 
the proof is in the pudding. And I wouldn't be standing on the TED stage if I didn't have something to show for myself. You're probably wondering, what's it going to be? What's he going to show us from the future? Stock reports? News stories? Highlights from the Super Bowl? For a season that hasn't even started yet? Two minutes, 20 seconds. Well, you came here to see TED Talks, to be the first ones to see what's new in the world of ideas. So how about a little preview of next year's TED stage? Video plays, in which Ben Boyce is visible on the TED stage, in different clothes, with different facial hair. That is me, giving a TED Talk. Next year, 10 months from now. Want to hear what I have to say? 2 minutes, 55 seconds. On screen, Ben speaks. Now, when I gave my talk last year, the future was still in its infancy, and many were struggling to wrap their minds around the possibilities of what it could do. Today, the consensus has come around to acceptance, and many are using our product on a daily basis as they make decisions about every aspect of their lives, where to work, who to marry, how to spend their time, and so much more. But we have a long way to go if we want to ensure a world where time travel technology remains stable and beneficial. Which is why educating our users is so important. And that's why I'm launching a new initiative. Video ends. I know, it's a tease. But the whole talk is available on our website, along with a selection of other downloads from the future and links to some of the science validating our methodology. That's just a peek at the vast wealth of what will be available through our very own personal time machine. Four minutes, 25 seconds. We live in an age where a small group of companies have nearly complete control over our lives. Technology is intertwining with every facet of human existence, and the means to build it are consolidating into the hands of a few. They all know what's coming. They're making it happen. And we're just checking the news to find out what our lives will look like tomorrow. Google, Facebook, Amazon, they have a monopoly on the future. Five minutes, ten seconds. But that ends today. By creating an affordable machine that gives everyone access to their own future, we are leveling the playing field. Now I no longer have to be afraid of the unknown, of what's coming next. And as a result, I'm dreaming big again. I hope you'll join me. Thank you. Applause. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.